1: Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My 7 Wonders. Since the dawn of civilization, the greatest structures, monuments, mausoleums, and other mighty works of mankind have been identified and celebrated as wonders of the world. And like the days of the week or deadly sins, there are always seven of them. In antiquity, the wonders of the world included the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and the Great Pyramid of Giza, More recently, more modern wonders include the Taj Mahal and the Great Wall of China. Then there are the seven natural wonders, such as giant waterfalls, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the Grand Canyon in America. As opposed to the seven engineering wonders, which include the Panama Canal and the London Sewage System. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your own personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast, and the guest I'm asking today is the Irish comedian, writer and broadcaster Dara O'Brien. Dara is well known to British TV viewers as the long-serving presenter of Mock the Week, the comedy panel show that's been making fun of groups of seven days, cocking a snook at statesmen and celebrities, and having a laugh at things in the news for 15 years or more. In addition, Dara presents or appears on lots of other programs, often involving science, space, or Professor Brian Cox. So from what, 1994 onwards, a busy and successful mixture of stand-up comedy, broadcasting, publishing books in Ireland, then the UK. Well, this suggests quite a range of interest, Dara, did you find it hard to narrow your choice down to just seven wonders? Oh, it's
0: ludicrously difficult uh, because it is a snapshot of whatever mood I happened to be in when I decided to send you an email in reply. So, <laughs> it's, and it's, so it's, it's made for um, L'Esprit de l'Escalier. The, um, uh, that you would go, Oh, wait, did I not include
1: world peace? Oh, that <laughs> seems gauche. No, well, we don't want all of that, but it does certainly reflect these times of being locked down and, and away from people because your first choice that I've got on my list of your seven wonders is crowds. So now that sounds to me like you're, you've got your stand up comedian hat on and you're missing the adoring crowd cheering as you come on and hopefully cheering you when you come. Well, it doesn't have to be adoring of me per se right
0: although they're my favorite crowds they uh, but just generally crowds is, crowds it's is an interesting thing for me because p- people's behavior changes as part of a crowd um you can you lose yourself in a crowd uh, let's um, obviously lose mobs from that from this you know uh, but the uh, but there is a kind of a thing and and i quite enjoy i uh, think I enjoy crowds because i enjoy being in a room with people who are laughing and the the physics of that in itself, the, you know, if you're doing an Edinburgh run and you can attract 120 people and you've been offered a room with 150 and a room with 100, take the 100 because people lose themselves when they're jammed into a room better than when they can see a few empty seats. This kind of stuff has always been a very in, intrigued to me. When I basically started doing all this standing in front of audience a bit was in, when I was in university doing college debating. And I realized you could make a crowd of people laugh and they became like a separate, a separate organism that I would walk past the lecture theaters as people were waiting to do things. I'd look and see 600 people and I would see them as an entity and that I could, you know, get get a rush out of, that I could go in there, say a few words, get a laugh or an applause, and and get the adrenaline, the cheap adrenaline uh, spike that I that I needed. So crowd our behavior as crowds is always very interesting to me. So I I enjoy both professionally working in front of crowds and then in my own time attending events in crowds, attending big public events. And yes, I think that is probably lockdown has made that more um acute, the sense of loss of
1: that just a simple act of being lost in a crowd well because some people if they, you ask them to let's say make a speech at a wedding or something and there's a big big ish crowd of people they get they find it terrifying though but for the natural performer which clearly you are and for anybody who does does this on a regular basis a crowd is an easier audience a lot of people is easier than just eight people or or five people. Oh, it, it, totally, yes. I mean, it,
0: it is a, a, like a numbers, it's a physics game, basically, that if you pile people in, also if you, if I were to go to, people say, do you try out your jokes on, you know, your wife, or whatever, and uh, for various reasons, as I'm sure you know, you don't do that, but you don't try them on an individual because, it, firstly, because in, you, there's a chance of laughing is only 50-50, let's say. Let's say in a good joke, it's only 50-50, but 50-50 of a thousand people is still 500 people laughing. But also, there's a very interesting book by. A, A psychologist called Robert Provine, who examined laughter as a social mechanism, and he basically pointed out that we try to do it by putting people in a room with the with the comedy video, but people don't laugh on their own. People don't go ha 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 on their own. You never make that sound when it's just you. You make that sound as a response to a social situation, to to attention being released in a group, and that's all we do in comedy is that we create the tension, we and we lift people and drop them, and they exhale their tension in the way of laughter. So loud laughter, actual noise, only comes from a crowd. And the larger the crowd who is sitting, the better.
1: So you mentioned, obviously, as a performer, as a comedian, or in your university days, a debater. There, you like the crowd, a crowded room. What about being in a crowd? Because you mentioned in passing, there you could be watching another comedian, but you're also watching a, a sports match, a football match, or whatever. Well,
0: there is, and, and I suppose there is a and look. You you attend sports events, same? You attend the same sports events I do a lot of the time. The uh, I, I have a just. A grow, I can say this search for love of that, of that noise, of that energy, of there being 60,000 people and the release and the, the whole thing and that again is we're watching a like a facsimile of it at the moment uh, during lockdown of watching fake crowd noise being attached but still needing it still need like I mean because watching it with just people shouting on the sidelines and hearing you know instructions being passed to physios <laughs> to hand out bottles of water which is the option on the second channel it feels wrong <laughs> but there is for example um, the behaviour of a crowd in a gig is very different to, to individuals there is a thing that I occasionally do occasionally I'll have a glass of water on the stage and I'll drink the water and I will, I've noticed that you can, you, it's, it, there's a whole tension you can play with over that. But the, uh, if you, because the audience, the crowd, the audience will start chanting for you to finish the water. And I always put down the glass and go, I'm not writing jokes for months, honing the material and then getting a larger round of applause for just drinking a glass of water. But the opposition came to me that this thing, chug, 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 chug that people do, is a behaviour you only do as part of a crowd. No one on a date <laughs> with an individual... <laughs> When they started drinking water, goes choke, choke, chug, choke choke, choke, choke down and what. But you
1: do it's it, almost like it's expected of you when you're as part of a crowd. Yeah. So those kind of things are fun to play with. I want to ask you one last question on crowds before we move on to the next wonder. But Nate, perhaps you what you're referring to at the moment in your performing terms, you're performing to a crowd that's come to see you. They've bought tickets, your name's on the on the above the door. Um they're gonna give you a chair as you come on, as I say. Is that as much fun? Uh, as it was perhaps in your earlier days when you were third comedian on in a small club or or wherever, and well, who's this bloke then? And you had to get the laughs, you know, out of nothing and get to the end, and then they go way well, hey, He's fantastic. Hopefully, uh, is it is it less fun when you've got an adoring crowd rather than a, a one you have to win round? Um, uh, yeah, look, I, 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 I absolutely. I think the sweet spot is where you were
0: good enough to know that you could do it. Um, and yet they didn't know you. Um, I, I suppose, so I think there was probably a bit where I moved over here from Ireland and had been doing it for seven or eight years, but had to do the 10 minutes in Jonglers and the 10 minutes in the comedy store just to, so they didn't know, because they didn't know who I was. And I came out with armed with tons of stuff Um, and I was able to come out and that was probably the most enjoyable one, it, it, you know, because you knew you, you knew you had it, you knew you could do it and they didn't know who you were. And that's quite nice. I mean, don't, there are still difficult gigs there's only uh, there's only a pause the pause goes longer between the next the last time I died and the next time I die it's just but uh, and I don't think if that gap comes back in again as you get older but the uh, but certainly you, you learn more skills to stave off but it's always there it's always down the line somewhere trundling towards you like the villain in it follows it's always walking at walking pace towards you and some say if you don't stop moving it will Bite you. But uh, so it's a uh, but yeah there, there was there was a particular sweet spot of going in front of a slightly skeptical room and nailing it um, and that's a nice that is a nice feeling. Microwave is the simplest fucking machine you could think of, right? What house of the future do you live in where the simplest machine you have? I'll just go to the microwave on my jetpack. <laughs> Simpler than that? Kettle, toaster, very good. These are the kind of. Could you imagine explaining a toaster to Michelangelo? You take a piece of bread, you put it into the machine, you press down, and you wait. <laughs> and what happens? Does it double the bread, cut over the bed? Does it change the bread into other food stuff? just ending hunger? Does this machine stop famine? No, it just makes toast. <laughs> but we can make toast. We hold bread up next to a flame on a fork. Ah, but this does two sides. <laughs>
1: Now, while while we've got you in that sweet spot, in that good mood, let's move on to the next uh, wonder. Um, And this perhaps, I I assume, relates to your stand-up touring career. And of course, you'll have seen him in in that context. You've selected theatres, Frank Matcham theatres. So now he is a, he designed, or he's an architect who, who built and or created or designed Lots and lots of theatres in London, also around the country. Yes. Frank Matcham was a Victorian architect uh, during the golden
0: era of building theatres in this country. And his designs are generally regarded as being the the benchmark uh, designs of of theatre design at the time, right? I'm including, I'm broadening it out. Matchams are are particularly beautiful things and you you gather them around yourself. Hackney Empire is a Matcham theatre. Oh, what's the one? The Palladium, which is, uh, perhaps people do know pretty well in the yes, London. Uh, uh, yes, lovely. I, I did a tour of the Palladium not long ago and somebody said, it's very brown, the Palladium said. He said, yes, it was. And it's supposed to be gold, but all the cigarette smoke over time slowly <laughs> dulled everything in the Palladium. So, yeah, uh, um, it is... So, it, it, look, that design, stalls, circle, upper circle, that kind of uh, intimate design that predates amplification, predates microphones and all that. Is, remains the, the the benchmark for uh, for what works best for comedy and and for stand-up comedy. That audience on top of you, um, all gathered close, spoken word. Again, we're into the intimacy of it
1: all. I'm conscious we've said Frank Matcham and we've said Victorian theatres. I think his designs are mostly in 20th century rather than... Um,
0: oh, they're Elliot Wardian, really. are they? The, okay, fine. I'm very bad for the eras in, in this country, you know. Yes, yeah, Wardian and whatever. And, and look, yeah. I'm not sure why it was that he has that that the others weren't doing anything because it is a model i know, like he didn't invent stole circle um grand circle but brought them to a particular finesse i think more than anything else uh was his thing the uh Look, I, I don't think there's necessary that there's, there's the guy who did a perfectly good other theatre is going, all right, I'm just a frank match and let it go. <laughs> it works perfectly well. They're just a nice thing, however, when you, as you tour around and you do various different things, when you come across one of these, I mean, look, there's, there's a theatre, for example, in Sydney, I'm, you know, you end up gathering things, there's a theatre in Sydney called the State Theatre in Sydney. State Theatre in Sydney has a um, chandelier, a four ton chandelier. And when it opened, they couldn't get insurance that for you know for, for and so they basically the deal was for the first, this was the first couple of years of it you could sit underneath the chandelier for free that was the deal <laughs> uh, but it was very much your own gamble on this and they've 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 later they've, they've it's, it's all it's never fallen but the uh, just gathering these things the, the uh, it is and often because you often you arrive at the back of these places and you don't think to go at the front and have a look then there is a a tend- terrible tendency to arrive in a stage door do all your stuff from the front from the stage and then go again. And then not theater. I mean, and by the way, not all modern theatres are like this. A the, the millennium in Cardiff is this fantastic wood construction, the Lowry and thing. I've had many happy memories in lots of these, these rooms. But there is just something exquisite about walking
1: out into that era of theatre. The, um, the other thing to bear in mind that you could comment on is, of course, however lovely and beautifully and decorated a theatre might be for the audience, however good it may look on stage. Quite a lot of them backstage in the dressing rooms and the ghastly stairs going up and down them and the temporary bits of shower that have been attached onto things uh, and the, you know, the, the mice and so forth. They're often pretty shabby backstage, aren't they?
0: I absolutely agree with you. The, uh, There is, because if you imagine the shape of it and then um, of the theatre itself, and then imagine it just being squished up against a wall and all of the backstage has to be fitted into the gaps between it and the wall essentially. And so it's a, yeah, a, a, there's a lot of rat runs and a lot of, um, like, hello, Cleveland, trying to find your way around corridors to find how you get on stage. And so, yes, in that regard, some places do very well. The Limerick and Hammersmith, for example, and, and places like that that have rebuilt the front, the face of these theatres, but
1: retained oh, yes. the internal, the auditorium. Yes, it's like a little Victorian theatre within a shopping centre. Um, sort of feel to it. Yes, yeah, which is bizarre. I mean, Hammersmith, Hammersmith is
0: a bizarre architecture at the best of times, but that is a very strange jewel to discover in the middle of it. The strange of all we once did one of these three men in a boat things with Griff and Rory, and we, in a sequence that we ever included, we stopped off at, we were in Glasgow, starting on a Glasgow trip of the Highlands and Islands, and we stopped, we met a ferry, uh, not a ferry, a cruise ship, and it was a cruise ship that goes all the way around the UK. That's its thing. There's a week, and it goes all the way around the UK and returns back to Greenock. And within that, there was a kind of a facsimile again of that theatre. Red Velvet, Gilt, Trompe loyal all of that built into a cruise ship. And you did go, OK, I know you're not supposed to be a cruise ship. I know that that's regarded as the sine qua non of the, you know, don't, you can't end up doing that. That'd be the, you know, it's like doing strip clubs or something. It's just like one of those things that belongs to a different generation of comics. But you're going... This is, this is exactly the same. This would be this would be fine. This would be very this would be a lovely room to play.
1: I thought you were gonna say you then had a huge competition as to which of you got to to play the you No, know, the, the boat was the boat with Stage, we, were, we weren't allowed on.
0: But the uh, I mean admittedly I, I, if I am going to place cruise ships, it's not the one that goes around Glasgow
1: and <laughs> around, around the <laughs> Oh look, Norwich! I think that's not the one I want to play, the, as opposed to the fjords. Well. Oh, I hope this podcast is still being listened to in years to come. When the, I just saw Darrow bring, <laughs> he was on, very happy to on, play on that ferry. <laughs> Twenty minutes on the ferry between <laughs> Eath and someone. <laughs> Frank Matcham,
0: Victorian architect. This is a film about his work.
1: Who is he? Where does Matcham sit as far as being an architect concerned? Probably not very high up in the pantheon of architects. He was thought of as a bit of a hack. They're not seen as being architecturally correct. Amusing, I think. They are a mishmash
0: of different styles.
1: Uh, He was uh, really considered
0: on a par with architects who designed pubs.
1: Let's move on to your third uh, thing, which in the list I have it uh, written down as. I thought I was going to say hurling, but you say the hurley, which I think is part of hurling. Yes, it is.
0: Hurling, obviously, being our national sport in Ireland. And look, the obvious thing for me in terms of sport, because I adore sport, I adore sporting events, I adore being in and attending live sporting events, would be to talk about Arsenal. But currently, my mood <laughs> is very <laughs> intimately linked to them. And
1: well, I'm always hesitant to talk to you about Arsenal because uh, I follow them as well, because it's, always, I always want to imagine your brain exploding if I just say, wasn't Thierry Henry a great player? Which, of course, <laughs> he was for Arsenal and his. Perhaps one of the best players who's ever played for Arsenal. But in the context of, you know, Ireland and football, of course, he's something of a bete noir because uh, it was his hand, it was his hand of God or hand of frog, as I think some people call it, that um, illegally, as it were, in the playoff. Between Ireland and France. I know, but there's, there's, there's still an element of club versus country,
0: you know, and in, in all this. Yeah, uh, that, you know, that I think we all have a slight, you know, guilty thing about that, that actually, I because I remember tweeting a point, there was a point where Henry came back to play in Arsenal in a cup match against Leeds and got put through to score the winning goal. And actually, I'm going to say something, which is, is this may be something that, that I need to get checked out in 10 years time, but it seemed to break something in my brain. The rush of adrenaline, the rush of endorphins from it. I went into a kind of fugue state of some description that occasionally happens when we score a goal. There's this huge rush, this huge rush of, of excitement. And it's like all the sound gets dimmed and I can just hear the ringing. And it's like an effect that you achieve in a movie when you like the hurt locker, when the bomb goes off. And yes, and that kind of, no, And then people reeling around. My brain go- went into that. So you're th- saying
1: you had it or you didn't
0: have it when he? I said, had it. I had it. And I, I honestly, it's, it's possibly a neurological problem that, you know, that I should check out long term. But it was, I, and then I posted a tweet about it saying, I have never been as happy as I have been in that moment. That was the greatest moment of, of joy. And then loads of Irish people reminded me of it and I had totally forgotten it. I completely written off as a thing, terrible thing that happened but you know 183 goals or whatever it is that or 200 and whatever
1: Alright well we've, we've accidentally gone on to Arsenal Thierry Henry but we should be talking <laughs> because of the rules of this, this this conversation we're talking about you're talking about hurling the, now the hurley is the actual stick or the club or the bat or whatever you would... is a stick a stick
0: is occasionally different. it's just a, a hurley but a, a, the stick and and, also, and there's a general national debate in Ireland whether you call it a hurl or a hurley and right. I, I made it much easier for yourselves in writing a hurl on a piece of paper. But the hurl, it's made from ash and it's a single piece of wood carved into an elegant, I don't know how, how you describe it, I'm sure there is a term for the teardrop shape, but it will lengthen to it. Wider at the bottom than a, than a hockey stick. Um, curved more than a the cricket bat. Narrow enough, has bend, has to have bend. Ideally with bands on it, which are these metal strips which are tightened around the end. Uh, one on either side of the widest point of the bottom of it which is called the boss B-A-S in Irish the goalkeeper gets a frying pan job and they're fantastic if he's a goalkeeper you get to hold one of those things up. but the players could get a slightly smaller one uh, but the, the sweet spot of it is is a little wider than it would be on a hockey stick but then again you're also striking the ball in midair
1: so when you were when you were growing up Dara, would you, did you play hurling? yes, yes I did more than football or rugby?
0: Or the- Didn't play rugby, played football for a little while and then the school I was in was a, was a hurling and Gaelic football, which is the other, the other sport. as So I split between Gaelic and, and, and hurling. But I would have, part of playing hurling is that you, you need to walk around with a hurling in your hand all the time. You need to be knocking a ball around and you need to be carrying it and you need, and it's just so it becomes an extension of your arm because that's how they live in counties that take it very seriously. If you, there's a festival in Kilkenny, a comedy festival and we'll pull up in the car for it and you'll just see groups of lads walking around six of them with all, with hurlies in their hands and they're just batting a ball against a wall and just talking away. And it, it just becomes like a thing you carry around all the time. Yeah. Like a gentleman with a walking stick, but with a ball banging against a wall kind of all the time. So it becomes, so that when the when the moments occur in the games and they're taking place at a tremendous speed, the, uh, the act of lifting the ball up, for example, is so second nature. It's so quickly done and it's not a thing that you're going, oh, I must get my hands underneath here and then slowly draw this up like it's gone, it's
1: over. So it is a thing that you live with. Now these... For sports, uh, hurling and Gaelic football, Gaelic games generally, they're they're quite intimately bound up with the idea of the nation of Ireland. Yep. There was a time when, uh, if you if you played Gaelic football or or hurling, you you weren't supposed to play, you know, foreign games like uh, association football or rugby or cricket or anything like that. There were it was never the twain should meet and there's a, i mean there's a lot there's a long and tragic history associated with the uh, relations between britain and ireland obviously but even involving croke park the uh, the ground the big ground where um, a gaelic sports was- played. Well, yes, there was a, there was a
0: massacre there in 1920. I think it was 1920, uh, which is the original um, progenitor of the of the term "bloody Sunday." The uh, so uh, so yes, it all did. It, it got tied in hugely with Irish identity and the struggle for Irish independence, and then you know all that general movement. And there for a long time, if you remember the RUC, you couldn't play Gaelic games. Those rules have been taken off the books now. So it was a it was a mark of that. And then it was a big deal then when Crow Park was opened up for when Lansdowne Road, the former uh, rugby and soccer stadium, was being redeveloped. Croke Park opened its doors to let rugby and 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 association football, um, or soccer as we happily call it in Ireland. The uh, in and I had a I made a suggestion in a newspaper article that that, that this while well, this is a very good thing that the GAA the organization while welcoming people in should uh, construct a series of statues of the great players that, like an arch each player standing, leg spread, either holding a football or a hurley, and that all the fans should pass beneath him, but should have to duck so as not to be hit on the head with the, like man, huge manly generals of the hurling and rugby players so that at each stage you're in danger of getting hit by the sheer cojones of the GA players as you went
1: in to watch your football. I can't imagine why this wasn't taken up. This seems so it's interesting isn't it? It may be a strong statement architecturally but now when you, were, you you mentioned at school you played these games or could do uh, you, you went to an, uh, was it an Irish language school? Was was that, was that Irish your first language? Uh, no it would be my one and a half to language let's put it that way. But of course you you live in Britain now, so uh, would you send children of yours to an Irish language school? I, I don't. I don't.
0: No, no, no. They're, they're not. They're not raised in some in some sort of a, a imitation of, of of all that. They, it's a culture they can draw on. Weirdly, probably the most tangible part of Irish culture, bar their, their visits to grandparents and all that, is the hurling championship. Because the um, I have brought them to Croke Park. I have seats in Croke Park. And I've brought them along. There was a weekend of two semifinals, one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday. And we were over that weekend. So one of them, there's three of them now, but at the time there's only two of them. One came on the um, Saturday and saw a classic on Saturday. And the following day, the other saw a classic on the Sunday. And so now to think that every year when the Hurling Championship starts, we have an auction essentially in the house around London where they each get to pick two counties and we follow it through. To see who wins, so I attend the I attend the All Ireland Hurling Final every every year, and it is just this pageant. It is a snapshot of Ireland. It's also a just a ridiculous, brutal recklessly fast, ludicrously tense sporting event in itself, which often comes down to just a heart stopping long ball going over the bar or not, and eruptions of joy and all the other stuff that, I as you can tell from my stoppings so of I, I clearly love. So the yeah, uh, so it's a it's a beautiful thing that I, that I I really wish more people. Got it. Because it's a very lovely thing. Yeah, But also, the actual hurley itself is a perfectly weighted thing. There's an element of spinal tap. Don't underestimate the pleasure of having a good piece of wood in your hands. The, uh, <laughs> you know, as that montage of the spinal tap manager smashing things up with a cricket bat. It's just pleasant to have a big stick in the house every so often. And... Yeah, I mean, not just for, and for home security. It's always nice to know that I have an arsenal uh, if I need it they, uh, in certain situations <laughs> like
1: Oh, bear that in mind if I'm tempted to burgle your house in the middle of the night. Yes,
0: honestly, there'll be a, there'll, hon- <laughs> just do it. Honestly, that's how I stand. I stand naked with my Irish <laughs> testicles dangling, challenging people. Come at me.
1: T.J. <laughs> Reid is hovering, cleared on this occasion by John Hanbury, down far as Andy Smith, Owen Murphy. Oh, brilliant! Let's go to something possibly more intellectual because your fourth wonder of the world is or are uh, photons Yes So tell us what a photon is Look A, f- a photon is a, is a particle of light um, Or is it a wave And that that's a debate For another time Haven't they resolved that They hadn't resolved that When I was at school No but they
0: don't The whole point is You don't resolve it It, it behaves <laughs> <the planet. laughs> it's, like, it's like saying Is the cat dead or not Would you? Somebody just open the box Would somebody just open the box Find out if the cat is dead or not Sure it would smell <laughs> At this point There's got to be some indication It was scratching for a while The scratching's <laughs> gone quiet Clearly, <laughs> something wrong with it. So,
1: a photon. A photon is a
0: particle, particle of, light of light or a wave. Yes, and uh, in its in its smallest form. And the particular thing I love about them is your ability to capture them here in order to see things that you can't see with your naked eye. I mean, your naked eye is capturing photons anyway, right? You're looking up, you're seeing things, but they're bouncing at GI eye, the receptors, the rods and cones do their work, turns it into electricity, and then you can see the world around you. But I'm very into, and particularly during lockdown, have developed a hobby, and I'm genuinely surprised to find myself saying this, of astrophotography, taking pictures of things in, in the sky, which started from just getting a telescope, because I thought I should, and then going, right, well, they're they're great, but they're dots. Is what? What more can I see? And then you stick a camera onto it, and then you start pointing at spaces and letting the camera run for periods of time—thirty seconds at a time, thirty times, thirty times in a row—and then you add all the pictures together, and you get things out of it. You get stuff from space. You get like planetary nebula, or you get galaxies, and they're these are just individual photons of stuff that have bounced for thousands of light years and found their way to the receptor, little receiver, the CMOS sensor at the back of just camera, just the Sony camera have it stuck onto the back of the telescope, and have pinged off one of the cells on that. And that in itself
1: is astonishing to me. The, that we can do that. And they're beautiful. Now this goes back to well, your school days, but also your university days. You you were a scientist at university. You were studying, was it physics you studied? Mathematics, what physics and mathematics I studied, yes. So in an alternative universe, not necessarily one up, you can see, uh, you, Dara O'Brien, would be Professor O'Brien now, or uh, working at NASA or, or something like that. Is that. Was that a possibility? Was that what you were thinking of doing? Okay, it was probably the, the intention was probably
0: that, but I don't know if I would have ever made the journey. It turns out that I had an emotional flaw that I needed. I needed love. And I needed thanks and I needed appreciation from strangers. And none of them fit well with an academic career. They just, I mean, I cannot imagine the thanklessness of doing a PhD in something, of just uh, slowly working to a thing without there being an audience going, great, you're, you're great. <laughs> You're a good fan, aren't you? So I went for the far. And it was always kind of slightly awkward for me that I would get asked to do things about science, as if I was somehow an ambassador for science to science people who were actually studying science. Because I'd be going, no, 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 I re- I'm literally the person who ran from this because he wanted to be in showbiz instead. But the passion for it always was always there. It sort of got beaten out of me a bit in, in university because it's. There's a lot of methods and a lot of uh, and techniques and stuff that they want to teach you, and there's a lot of time spent doing that, and it gets very dry and arid because they think you're on a twenty-year path or a seven-year training or whatever, and they weren't aware that you were going in to just learn some exciting results and then come out of it and go, oh, black holes—they're fun. Um, they actually wanted to train you, and so they so the really fun stuff wasn't going to happen for a
1: while, and I end up just learning how to understand the fun stuff. So if you if you know what I mean, yeah. But you could have had a you could have gone for a bit of deferred gratification. You could have done your PhD turned it into a book, then started telling people about it. You, you, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you, you've you done the wrong thing by becoming a comedian, but you, you could have been an entertaining scientist. I could have, absolutely could
0: have been. And instead I went the other way around it, which is I became a comedian who for some reason gets serious in a way that I find, I when I was a kid, I used to watch comedians on the telly. And if and there was a bit during shows, do you remember a bit during those shows where be, someone would come out and sing a song? Would actually yeah. sing an ordinary song. And he used to drive me up the wall because I was enjoying Kenny Everett or <laughs> Mikey Harwood or whatever and enjoying the ha ha ha's and then the ha ha ha's stopped and Barbara Dixon came out and sang a song like, and, you, and I would I remember the, my, the most unhappy moment was watching the start of it and going is this a funny song? Oh, no, it's <laughs> Not. just a song. It's just a song. And that used to really irritate me. And I remember I made a vow to myself that I should just, if I'm doing this, I should only be doing funny stuff. And then Stargazing came along and ruined it because it was like, it was like a very deliberate thing. I thought, right, I'm just, because in Ireland, I used to be a kids TV presenter as well. And genuinely people were a bit confused. I'd do a tour of, of my comedy shows I brought from Edinburgh. And it was like, Oh, what, an evening
1: with the guy off the kids' tell Why would I go to that? Like, it was really- and did you get into trouble if you swore or something like that because there are a lot of kids in the audience? Well, it was just, I'd sullied my brand. I'd, I, you know, I
0: hadn't kept the purity of it. Like, so when I moved over to the UK, I said, right, just, just comedy, 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 comedy. Let's just do that. Not do any kind of general presentation. Just do funny, funny, funny stuff so that people know, oh, yeah, he's going to do the funny. He's going to now at least attempt to be funny uh, every time. And then bloody stargazing came along and said, would you like to look at images from Hubble and, and you know, talk about And they are going, yeah. And it sort of ruined everything. So now you don't know, tuning in, whether I'm going to bore you <laughs> with space or actually trying to be funny. And so I've really, really misjudged this career.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm really... sure not. Well, as you know, because I've asked you this before, or put this point to you before, there was a time when, to me anyway, space travel looked exciting because we went to the moon. 1969, people, well, we didn't go, but a few people went to the moon and that stopped in 1972. Since which time? It seems to me this seems less and less point to knowing much more about outer space because all we learn is everything else is so far away that all we can get excited about there might be a bit of dampness on Mars or possibly under a rock <laughs> on the moon. There's nothing else, and if to go further to to another galaxy, so we, we know enough to know we can't do it in in the foreseeable future. So what's the point of knowing? whether there's a, a billion stars or, or just 500. Do you see what I mean? It, it seems to have got less exciting the more we know about it. I totally see what you mean. I totally see what you mean, that that somebody goes,
0: but there may be mould on Venus. Isn't quite what you were promised.
1: They, uh, No, I, 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 we want
0: creatures. Yes, I know, I know. And there will be creatures, unfortunately, You're at least not near us. The, uh, and I do remember a point where we had, I think with Jonathan Ross on the very first stargazing, and he one of the items was somebody went out and they basically... um spoke, it, it, it was like our, our resident astronomer went out and showed him how best to use his telescope. Like, and, and they did a couple of days filming with him and then we had him in the studio and he went, he leaned in and was saying, he ultimately they're just dots. Aren't they? <laughs> just dots, you see. <laughs> and you kind of go, okay, fair enough. However, if you then crank it up just a level more than that and then start sticking the camera onto it, then you start seeing colourful things. Then you start seeing, you know, you know these clouds of stuff around, and stuff like that and then you and then it gets a bit the wonder comes swooshing back in again or the planets capturing the planets is, is quite nice
1: all right I, I must be persuaded i can't side with jonathan roth against you <laughs> dara at least not at least not when i'm talking <laughs> to people when when you're talking to Jonathan yourself i'm sure you go um he's still trying to sell the dots he's still trying to sell the dots <laughs> um anyway let's i hope i've let you convey your excitement with the whole process of not just gazing at the stars, but getting to understand them and the and the immensity and the the complexity of of the universe, which is which is indeed infinite. But also in lockdown, let's also pitch this as being a tragic forty
0: eight year old man who, literally, there, there were times during the easing of lockdown where a couple of doors down, younger people live a couple of doors down. They were having a party in the garden, and I know this because. A video I was taking of Jupiter, so that I could take the individual frames and turn them into photo Jupiter, includes them all singing Dancing Queen over it. <laughs> and I remember them going, "Well, good for them. It, it does definitely mark a point." This lockdown ran a schism essentially between the young comics who immediately went, "I must learn new skills. I must learn video editing and TikTok, and I must find new ways to bring my comedy to people." And the older comics who went, "Yeah, retirement. Yes, be all yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in it's the not garden Oh, by the way i
1: have a photon joke can i tell it tell the photon. okay <laughs> a photon checks into a hotel not a bar oh not a bar no you okay. just has to be it can't a be racy because a fam- this is a family i got this okay i got I, I got this photon checks into a hotel the bellhop hat comes up and says uh, uh do you have any luggage And the photon says, no, I'm traveling light. All right, next wonder, which uh, brings us down to earth, really. It's the Hammond organ. Oh, the Hammond organ. Now, this is, I mean, I'm sure most of us have heard of the Hammond organ and we've heard it. You might have heard it in a church or a whiter shade of pale. Would that be the Hammond organ we're listening to there? No, 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 not at all. No, not at all. okay, look
0: while drawing up the list of wonders I made a point of not going for the Holy Trinity of um, sex, booze or chocolate which I presume is your first it's everyone's first thing well if I have anything to be thankful for it'll be sex, booze and chocolate but I thought that's too obvious as a thing right? they're, too,
1: they're very much well, when, when I come round to look at the stars with you if you could lay on some sex, booze and chocolate as well uh, that, might, that might make the evening go with more of a swing very much two doors down is for the sex,
0: booze and chocolate they, um, <laughs> but, but and it came down to debate for me of which noise because I have a thing about people, people with this music, right? And I have this thing about it. I can't remember the titles of songs or really care much for the significance of the lyrics of songs. And when I talk to people who are fans of music and they go, oh, but then he said, you walk with me, you walk through fields, my fields are whatever, and they would quote lyrics to you and I'll go, it's just some words they say while the music happens. That's all lyrics are. And ultimately, I don't care. I want the sound, right? And there are certain sounds that cut through me right and one of them is for example are you familiar with you're familiar with Prince obviously um Prince's uncle Kiss and Kiss has this like tiny high pitch guitar thing in it that's oh that is among my favorite sounds in the world that very high funky guitar thing right and equally the Hammond organ played for funk or played for jazz is not Proclaim
1: not, um, and <laughs> not in a church. <laughs> they... Well, well I'm, I was trying to do the range of things you might find a, an organ like that playing because they don't—they're not really made anymore, are they? Uh, Hammond organs? They? They're not, uh, oh, actually, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's also there's probably
0: a button on something now, which is infuriating, as opposed to a proper giant wooden thing. I look. And I'm not a music. I don't have the thing. I've sat down at one once, and I started playing, and just the, the tone it makes is just funky. And it is just there is, you know, I have a very black soul when it comes to music. I am very much about it just being cool and it being danceable too. And I will endure your slow jam. I will endure your slow music or God love us in Ireland, country music, which was it's a huge thing. And there is no Hammond organ in country music. So I'm at this moving, probably pivoting more from, you know, uh, the function of into jazz and learning more about jazz. But my link up will be stuff like this, will be will be the Hammond organ. Played by people with albums called Back of the Chicken Shack by Jimmy McGiff and that kind of stuff. Like this is not choral music I'm talking about here. But just that it has a, sw- a noise, a noise. It's a good noise. I, I hate music snobbery. Found it just very very irritating. A eh? people going well. The, those sounds. Those sounds are not the good sounds. These are the good sounds. No, whatever sound you like, go for it. Right. But the Hammond organ. Well, it almost
1: stuff. sounded like you didn't like country music there, but. The- oh, well, okay, Grant.
0: I think I'm allowed. I'm allowed to be. <laughs> 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 oh, and if, in fact, by the way, not even good country music. The the stuff you have in sing songs in Ireland. I took the blanket from the bedroom. <laughs> that sort of stuff, like where somebody would invariably start it at, a, at an evening out.
1: But that's a good thing about Ireland, isn't it? Uh, well, the, the image, I've, I've only been to Ireland a few times, but I, I can honestly say there's always a good time going on. Uh, and it can consist of somebody starting a song, and you all kind of have to join in. Even non musical people like me have to think of something you can sing or tap along to just, that's that's all
0: good, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, honestly, I think it's a hideous, um, I remember we went for dinner once at, at an Irish embassy and uh, the ambassador at the end, one of these kind of things, were well, thank you members of the Irish community and thing. Now we'll all sing a song and my wife who's in Yorkshire went, <laughs> what? I has literally never gone to an event at the Irish embassy, sits. And to the extent that I've gone, that was three ambassadors ago. They keep changing them over. Like, you know, I have, I have to go. I'm, I'm prominently Irish in London. I have, I have to go. Will you? No, 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 no. Because I, I, she thinks a minute ago, they go, another song. Let's <laughs> talk to a song. But yeah. But uh, it is, unfortunately the song wasn't, if, if it was, if it was somebody singing, you know, um, Fields of Aten or something like that, then grand.
1: But it was like, it wasn't. It You've was, got to be in a crowd watching a, some sort of sports event, then you might lose your inhibitions. and. Go with it yes but if it's got but it wasn't it was somebody singing Garth Brooks that's <laughs> what is a very common thing but just in terms of sort of music in Ireland and so forth, when you go to and from Ireland a lot, Evelyn, from, yes. from this conversation, do you feel more at home in Ireland still, or have you become assimilated so much into the ways of uh, the United Kingdom, the ways of London or wherever, that it now seems going to a, uh, not quite a foreign place, but a different place to go back? The case Ireland. that it has begun to drift away
0: from me, because I think the stuff that... I think we over, we overstate the the large in these um, in, in in how you as an immigrant feel distance from your own country. It's actually in the in the accretion of tiny things you didn't know about. You know there was a oh it's this small thing happened and it wouldn't have made the news over there or the, or they've they've changed the name of the channels or the or there was this, there was a very funny ad that was running for a while or this singer because suddenly became popular for ten seconds and those things come and go and I come back and there's like they've all their in jokes. I mean and I have some in jokes with them. Um, And so it's so quite nice to go back to them because I will tour, when I tour, I do Dublin a lot. I play about 40 times in Dublin on the tour, partly because, you know, it's a great room that I have over there and I can play it a lot. And partly because that gives me 10 weekends in Dublin uh, over the course of a tour and I get to catch up with everybody. So I get, I I indulge myself over getting over it. I earned a lot. But I find that my reference set is slightly older than than now. And I can, so I can feel the ice flow cracking and then moving away. And me going, OK. Because Ireland has changed a lot, hasn't
1: it, in the last few years? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah,
0: I mean, like, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I don't ever want to be that American coming back, having not been back in 60 years and, you know, wandering around in, a, in an iron sweater and, you know, uh, yeah, and that, that sort of stuff is, it, it, we just we like, we kind of, we they're back and fine, we'll sell them stuff, but it is slightly uncomfortable, Um, that kind of uh, weird, the stuff that get the stuff that gets, like America felt, uh, sorry, the way that Ireland is to America is always bewildering to us in Ireland. So I never want to get to that that point. I want to be back regularly if that doesn't happen. But you are aware that when it comes to what you do, which is conversational comedy, that you don't know the stuff that they're talking about at the moment. And it takes a while to come to, oh, right, they've changed. Oh, I see They've now this is all, they got rid of all the one way signs or whatever. There'll be something that has just been the ordinary stuff of conversation that
1: you weren't part of. So you've got to be, to an extent, somebody saying, well, I, I used to be from here, but oh, I've, I've now had to catch up with things. Yeah, you've got to yeah. Yeah, address that. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And so there's still stuff I can say the there's still stuff I can say over there that I can add. It, it feels more like I garnish the show when I go back to Ireland because there's some extra bits I can put in that I know they'll get and we can have in common. But that the show becomes this very kind of gentle thing. So I, I'm slightly stateless, slightly between the two. Slightly in a kind of an, an Anglo Irish state um, of the two. Yeah.
1: But the next one's, I don't know if it's intriguing, but it's certainly surprising. Blackboards and chalk is your wonder of the world. Oh, look, uh, this is specifically because of mathematics. Um, mathematics is
0: a, an, an art best done in chalk, best done on a blackboard. And there's no substitute. And I'm, I'm in an office now where I literally built a large blackboard for myself. So you can, there is just, but the tactile pleasure, but also for the instant correction of stuff. Dry wipe obviously will take as much information and do that thing, but it's not the same. And to the extent that there is a legendary Japanese chalk company who recently went into, um, was facing bankruptcy and it sent ripples through the mathematics world where people started stockpiling their chalk. And then there's, there's this beautiful short film with something made about this where people go, oh yeah, well, the Fujikama Chalk Company is the greatest chalk of all. They, uh, and they're talking about just its rate of slide and the the, 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 the rate way Just for constantly writing on a board is... It's the only way, it's the only one to use, like whatever. And then there was a guy in America who, would, who had 200 cases of it or something and he would sell them off to his colleagues uh, at an inflated rate because it was, that, it, was, it was that beautiful a type of chalk. They got saved from bankruptcy. Um, this particular Japanese chalk. Oh
1: my oh, goodness! For that, I was. I know, I know. I I, this was going to a, such a d- dark place without the Japanese chalk. I had no idea the Japanese did chalk as well. I, I, it's part of your love of mathematics, and even though you're not doing it as a as an academic study, you, you you retain your love of the the joy of maths. It was it was a
0: beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Just the just the expression of an idea in a, in, an, in the economy, the form of it, and the size of the ideas. And it's I still do occasionally do it do. Like whether well, project puzzles in the Guardian and Saturday, whatever the uh, kind of or or the books of things that not not puzzles, but more like maths problems sort of because I can feel it being a different part of my brain. I can feel it being a completely different part of my brain to the bit that's trying to come up with silly things in math in in comedy, right? The uh, a bit that's following an, a, an order of things trying to work out an argument, and there it's it's a very lovely thing when you see an argument and therefore this and uh, these kind of techniques reduced to absurdum, and uh, it's 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 very. Little, but it's it's the fear tactical element of it having to be done on the blackboard because most of them when you study maths you basically are trans. they write it on a blackboard and you write it in into, the into copybook it is you for a degree you essentially say most of them transcribing maths because it, you can't you essentially can't read it like you can like a, a, a piece of French or something it's not like it's a different language you actually have to actually write it out for it to mean something you have to go to the physical action of going well x is equal to and then you make the argument as you're writing it out and therefore this so you can't learn it off as just a set of symbols you have to
1: R- write the thing out. Well, I, I like doing maths at school simply because you didn't have much to remember. You know, Once you got the idea uh, in the lesson, you could you could retain it until the exam came round.
0: I remember a point where I sat in university and I went, oh my God, I never have to write an essay again. And I was extremely happy about that. And then look what happened. <laughs> now you're doing nothing but essays every week. Nothing but essays. All I do is write essays now. What's the cross product of this sum of these two components? Well, that's going to
1: be the cross product of the first one
0: dt squared t prime t prime of t plus i'm going to have here t cross product ds dt squared
1: n of t
0: oh so yeah put the t there
1: Okay, we're getting to the end of your wonders. We've done six. We've got seven. And the seventh one is um, one of your vaguer ones, I suppose. But uh, new places to visit. Just, and this may be lockdown as well, speaking of the thing, the the, just the discovery of
0: somewhere you've not been before is, I think, an exquisite pleasure. I was, even as a child, and it... Drives me up the wall that my own kids don't do this. When you when we went somewhere different, slightly different. Even if you go to France, even if you go from Ireland to the UK, I would be glued to the window of the car, staring out, looking at different road signs, uh, different architecture, different buildings.
1: Whatever. This is not here where we are normally from. This is different. Is uh, when you're touring as a stand-up comedian, it, to an extent, is it a bit of a lonely life? If you, if you, I, I remember reading a, a book you wrote a few years ago, uh, tickling the English, and you had things to say about provincial towns uh, I I remember being amused you said every every town thinks that it makes the best fudge in the world which is just it's just putting sugar and butter and stuff in a, a pot but it's the you know it's from it's from Bodmin so it's Bodmin fudge but that comes that sort of observation presumably comes from walking around during the afternoon waiting for the show to start in the evening and if you're unless you've taken entourage around with you you're on your own you are, new, and I don't, I don't actually know. I mean, there's a tour manager there or the sound
0: guy or the, you combine them both sometimes uh, and you choose that one very carefully because you spend a lot of time together. The um, And when I say new places to visit is important because I get a tremendous amount of excitement about the first time I'll play, you know, Copenhagen with, for, on, the, on the last tour I'll play. Less so going back to wherever. And like nothing against the people of Woking or the people of whatever, the, the Salisbury or whatever. But if it's like... Yeah, and also you arrive at six o'clock. You arrive at six o'clock in time for a sound check. The place is already shutting. You make it into one of the four chain restaurants that are in every town in the UK. And then you'll do the show and the show will be very much a high point. But then at the end of the show, this you learned bitterly in your 30s when you finally, when you earn the chance to release yourself from the clubs and go and play the theatres is your reward is that your audience go after the show is finished. The days where you would do a show and then there'd be a nightclub in the in thing afterwards and you could socialise, that ends when you go to theatre. So you would disappear. I remember in Selby in North Yorkshire, just walking out of the theatre and there being totally empty and then carrying my rider of, of cans of cider back to the hotel room and watching the African Cup of Nations till one in the morning on my own. In Middlesbrough, I remember being locked into the theatre. The theatre staff all left as I was changing and I had to find a release door to let myself out of a darkened theatre. So uh, it was, th- there's not a great deal of magic in this. I've, I've developed the skill of finding a local in most towns. So in most places, there is a place I go by. There's a good pub I know that I, that I can get to and we can have a drink afterwards. But a of the time it's just dead, it just ends. And like, you got to go, okay, fine. Which is why new places to visit have totally kept the energy going in this. So f- my reward for playing the 90 dates across the UK will be... Copenhagen or Reykjavik or Auckland and go there for the first time. I'm not sure when I do the next one out, what new ones are. But we just did America for the first time just before lockdown. So we played, you know, Washington, D.C. and New York and played like the West End, or the West End, what's it called? Broadway for the first time, like four days before lockdown occurred. The, uh, and that was all...
1: Now that we, that, I'm imagining that's exciting because w- would there be many people who know all about you in America? Were you breaking new ground? Through so the internet, the internet has opened it all up in a huge way. And things like BritBox and stuff like that has meant
0: that there is a weird bleed into these countries. The uh, America is the most difficult of all. You can sell tickets as normal in Canada. We had a full row of eight solar dates across Canada. America, we was a dog fight to get people to come into the shows. And... The extent it almost drove me insane because I realised, and I don't know why I haven't realised this before, that you can just go onto the website and go buy tickets for your own show and see how many tickets are available. And I would check that endlessly (laughs) and slowly watch two seats here. Oh, there's another four seats. Oh, there's a block Mm, there. Still get a front row ticket. Oh, six of us could have the front row still. Hang on. That's not good. (laughs) And then at a point where I thought I'd fill the rooms, um, they released tickets that they'd held back for various reasons, which theatres do. And then suddenly, all the chairs went green again. That had been <laughs> white, and I was like, "No, I thought I'd done that. I'd filled the bottom of it up." And so I watched them slowly eke up to a, to being a healthy level and go to. But the, I mean, I should have not done that and just gone and done the gigs there thinking it through. But it was, a, I got kind of obsessed with this in the in the and then then it, we only missed lockdown by four days. And had I done the the genuine emotional damage to myself of watching the seats rise up one seat at a
1: time, and then we told no, we have to cancel it because of lockdown. Well, that's you challenging yourself a bit there, isn't it? Because I'm sure you've, in the last few years, the the places you visited with comedy would include, obviously, the places with English-speaking comedy in addition to your exotic Scandinavian job, but, you know, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, uh, Just for Laughs in Canada, um, Ireland, uh, Edinburgh Festival, uh, th- yeah, there's there's lots and lots of English-speaking places which do, which would have an, an audience just gagging to see, or yeah. gagging to see you gagging, I suppose. Uh, look, they're, they're looking for shows and for, um, people to come over. But then we played Moscow and
0: St. Petersburg um, and there you're getting a kind of a very nerdy internet crowd who, you know, have seen clips of week or clips of, we really, Live at the Apollo is actually the big thing. Um, the, the, those big sets go across and people go, all right, well, we can see a whole show of this person. The, um, we played Cologne in Germany for the first time which was just particularly exquisite for, I did a section of jokes about Brexit, which they adored. And then I moved on and they all said, no, we want to hear more about Brexit. (laughs) genuine
1: very excited. I wanted your material
0: on Michael Gove. Really? Tell us more about the minutiae of the, uh, uh, of the, of the Brexit operation. It was They were very, very excited. They, and I said to, them, to the German crowd, I was very happy with this line, you really are enjoying this. If only there was a word in German for taking pleasure from the discomfort of others. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, there was a... And uh, so the, the, nabbing these things, getting a chance to perform with these places, and then you have a bit of a wander around and you, uh, and you have an explore. In Cologne, actually, the most exciting thing was I went for lunch and I was sitting on a table on my own. And an older man, 60 or 65, dressed as a clown, sat at the table across me. Not in a kind of, oh, look, this, this table's free, fine. ground he sat down. Didn't speak a word of English. I'm looking at him. And this guy just drank beers while dressed as a clown. But a sad clown. And then would go over to other tables, because he realized he didn't speak German, so he was pointless to him. So he'd go over to other tables and do a little bit of you know, jiggery, uh, clowny stuff, like whatever. And then he'd come back to me, sit, we'd nod at each other, he'd drink a beer, and then he'd go to another table. He's like, what is this? This is not a happier job. Is it performance art of some sort? I have no yeah. idea. Or just, he's he'd been doing this for many years. He's probably a very famous Clilone clown, or he, he didn't look like he was naturally great at it. You know, he had a kind of a sullen,
1: kind of an angry sense to him. But you know, so I'm going to ask you, so we're gonna to have to end, but it, do you think there's a special advantage, a special status of being an Irish comedian in Britain? Because you're part of, you're part of Britain, but you can also always stand back and say, Aren't you weird, you English, or aren't you odd, Scottish people? But you know the the whole thing. now, Oscar Wilde could do that as well. He was he was very much part of London society. But when there was things to make fun of, he could he could say, "Oh well, because I'm Irish and I'm completely different." Do you think that's a? Do you, do you know what I mean? It's kind of a special way of approaching. Oh no, I totally do mean no. I think the I think I think it's called the
0: intelligent alien is the term for it that you are in the culture but you're able to comment on the culture which is a the screenwriting term for it but the uh, yes it's very handy because um it allows me to sidestep a lot of debates that happen here and a lot of baggage that people get in this country the for example nobody knows like I mean you mentioned about my, my school my schooling an Irish language Christian brother school there is no analog for that over here there is no direct parallel to it. So therefore people can't place it in the same box that they like to place people. No,
1: no, no class hang up. You're not, you're not a, None of that. It's not a private school, a public yes. school, a, a poor school, an expensive school. We don't know. Yes. And we can't None tell. None of that. And that is a tremendously because it is
0: bizarre how obsessed uh, this country is with that and going, oh, well, yet another Oxbridge voice or whatever. UCD doesn't really fall into that, to be honest. So it's a, uh, uh, it's not a thing that, that
1: I get. So that is very handy to not have that baggage around you at all. I'm sure we think you know, any university in Dublin is a is a high quality institution. Look, we we had um, Yates.
0: Uh, oh no, we didn't. Yeah, we Yates. We Joyce and we Flann O'Brien. So you know, we did okay on that stuff. Uh, it was grand. That's all you need to know. That's they are they're the ones we push forward. And uh, and they mentioned they mentioned you as well. They often in passing, but uh, but if you read Dubliners really closely, there's a secret, there's a one I, where I met him.
1: Dara O'Brien. Thank you very much uh, for letting us into the secrets of your uh, seven wonders of the world. And as part of the function of this podcast, I I have to really select the the Top wonder that I'm going to take from your wonders. You haven't quite convinced me of the joys of uh, blackboard and chalk. Photons, I think I was a bit too s- skeptical about. Um, but I think of all the things that you've said here today, and some, you know, they're all very good, but I think uh, it's just because it's inspired me to try and take a look at this. I'll nominate your wonder, the Hurley. Uh, so encourage me to have a look at hurling at, at some point when sport and crowds, which is another of your wonders, of course, can be allowed back in because I'm, I'm not going to go and watch it without 80,000 uh, enthusiasts uh, shouting, shouting on and in- encouraging people. So the hurley is your wonder, which I'd like to take from Do. your list Do come, come
0: to an All-Ireland, come to an All-Ireland semifinal. You'll not get tickets to the final. But come to an semi final.
1: Surely you, you can pull some sort of strings for Your standing no. must be high enough to. It, it's sufficiently high to get me in. It's not going to get you in as well. Okay, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's put me in my place. Anyway, thank you very much, Dara Brien, for letting us into your seven wonders of the world. A pleasure.
0: This is a Stakhanov production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the ACAST Creator Network. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman.